0: I want you guys to think about something. i think thinking about the Lord gave me a vision just now during that, that last song. It was actually a vision I had the very first time I heard that song, and I don't know it was how it relates. So I want you to think about where we are in Peter and the difference between the last letter he wrote and this letter. We said the last letter he was writing to a group of believers that were going to be going through some suffering. And when you go through suffering, it's natural to have some doubt. So he writes to them and he tells them, he goes, when you guys are going through this suffering and things don't make sense to you and, and the gospel kind of begins to be questioned just because of real life stuff that you're going through that you don't understand and you look out in the world and you see other stuff in the world that you don't understand. So he writes that first letter to assure them stay strong, stay confident. Like even in this stuff, God's got a plan, God's got a purpose, God is, is ready and able to do it. And Man, you got to be strong to do that. It's one thing to hear somebody tell you and command it, it's a whole other thing when you're going to be willing to actually apply it. So I think, too, y'all don't laugh at me, but still to this day, one of my favorite movies, in essence, a cartoon, is The Lion King. So in The Lion King, you've got this, this I didn't realize how old The Lion King was the other day until so somebody was sharing something and I'm like, what are you talking about? I was a grown man when I watched that thing, and they were like, no, nah, you were you're like 10, maybe 12 at like the oldest. I'm like, man, I didn't realize it had been 20 something years since that movie came out, but I still remember so much of it. So I remember this scene where, you know, symbols like Peter applies real well. It's like me and Cliff. you've heard us, us go ahead and confess that sometimes we like to get in trouble. Um, and he gets in trouble because he didn't listen to daddy. And he finds himself in the darkness. How fitting for the last verse that was read, like, like there's light in the darkness and and the purpose of what Peter's trying to get to in the second letter is, man, there's going to be some darkness with false teaching all around. They're going to take the, the conditions of the world. They're going to take the things that you're going through, the emotions that you're feeling, and they're going to try to pound in some false lies. They're going to try to pound in some darkness. So simple enough doesn't listen to daddy, he, he finds himself in some darkness. But when he's in it, there's these hyenas, these demons. But, but he's so confident in what his dad had told him, First Peter. That he's going to trust it, Second Peter, trustworthy. So, so he, he's trustworthy because everything in God, you can trust in God. You can trust in his promises. You can, you can trust even when it doesn't make sense. You can, I'm going to use in a minute what Peter said. Like, you can trust in the writings because those that even wrote the writings didn't really understand what they were writing. But they still trusted enough to write them. Uh, you know, so, so there's that trustworthiness in it. And because of that trustworthiness, he stands firm and he, and he growls at these hyenas. And it sounds like a little kitten. I mean, if you've never seen the scene, you need to go home. I don't care how old you are. You need to watch The Lion King. It's on Disney. AM. I'm promoting it. Yes, 100%. Because there's so much good stuff in it. And these hyenas laugh at it. And that's real life, guys, because you're going to come to some situations in your life where you're going to have to choose to stand firm. And you're going to stand firm. And you're going to, you're going to purr. I'm serious. Anybody who, if you haven't been there yet, you have no idea what I'm talking about. But for those in the room that have been there, you can testify with Peter in understanding there's going to be moments that you stand and you purr and the enemy's going to laugh at you. And that, that's when, that's when it gets real. Because when you purr and the enemy laughs and you think in your head, I purr because daddy told me to purr. It's in my, it's in my being, it's in my very nature to, to purr. So when you stand before the enemy who's making fun of you and it didn't work out the way you thought it should have worked out because you thought you were going to roar, but in reality you were purring, you've got to decide right then and there. You're going to stand your ground and purr again? Are you going to run away? And I'll never forget, I couldn't even understand how Sybil was brave enough to try it again. I mean, his chick, his uh, uh, Nala, Nala's right there. See, I got it all, man. Now not like standing right there It's bad when you look bad in front of yourself It's bad when you look bad in front of your boys But your boys are your boys Like they're always going to get you back You can do this, like hold strong But when you look bad in front of your girls That's as real as they can get, man But he's standing there with his girl. He's standing there with the enemy And he's got to make a decision Am I going to roar again? Am I going to trust in the trustworthiness of who I am? of who my daddy says I am, who I am in the face of my enemies, that are laughing at me, are am I going to run away? And for some strange reason, Simba says, you know what, I'm going to roar one more time. Right. Except for when he roars the second time, it's like the Lion of Judah yeah. comes up from behind him and roars. And roar, 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 roar. I don't know if y'all can get if y'all ain't never heard the song you know, you, you was missing some of that roar. I can't do it either because God didn't bless me no music, but I'm telling you right now, you need to grab a hold of that thing because when you start roaring like that, you might be purring, but the enemy's hearing a roar. You know what I'm saying? Like, sometimes I feel like I, I, I'm, I'm purring. Like, last week, Crystal was like, mean, that, that was some good stuff. I was like, baby, that sermon sucked. Like, I just wasn't, I wasn't happy with it. But then four or five people, like, grabbed some stuff from it, and I was like, here's what's awesome. You sowed about a seed, right? I'm thinking, I'm like, man, we hear stuff at different times sometimes because sometimes the seed is the sunlight. Sometimes it's the plowing. Sometimes it's the water. You go back and listen to this message five years from now, and it might have been some tilling today, but it might be something like this. You know what I'm saying? Like like God sees, God controls the time, God controls the message. and, And when you hear it, so it's like, I trust. I trust in the trustworthiness of God's word. I trust in the trustworthiness of, of my father's promises and what he, what he says will happen, will happen. Yeah. Even when it doesn't happen when I thought it should have happened. Even when I'm a symbol and I'm like, purr. <laughs> I would have paused right then and there, ran back to the kingdom of light, and been like, Daddy, you told me I was a lion. You told me I could roar, but I tried, and I purred. But Simon had no doubt. He trusted the trustworthiness of his daddy, and he roared again. 2 Peter is challenging the believers of the church to roar even when you don't feel like roaring. It's when you're going to come into a bunch of doubt, a bunch of heretics, and a bunch of fables, and a bunch of fakeness, and and all that stuff. And we're going to get into that in the next two chapters. but, But he's setting the stage right now today to understand you can trust in this. Even when you don't feel, it, even when it don't work out your way, Amen. and what started it all for Peter, and this blows my mind. I think of all Peter's writings. I don't know if anybody caught that when Laura read, or or if you know you, you caught it when you read this week or not. But I can't help but think about like Peter's life, because Peter really is one of my spiritual heroes in Scripture, and it is because he made so many mistakes and still recovered so many times. Like he's he's the real life guy, you know. He, he he's just that person. But I'm thinking about his his time with Jesus. I'm thinking about what he was called. I think mean, that he, when he had that moment to decide whether he was going to keep fishing for fish or if he was going to decide to, to go fish for men. I, I think it's some of the moments where he was told to cast a net on the, on the other side of the boat. And he'd been fishing his whole life. And this dude who was a carpenter tries to tell him how to fish. And I'm like, at that moment he could have said, listen here carpenter, know you're old. I've been fishing my whole life. Don't you tell me how and where to fish. But instead he trusted the trustworthiness. And he threw this net where a carpenter told him to throw a net, and he filled up a boat so much that they can't even hold all that he's gonna catch. And I'm thinking that would have been something I would remember forever. Yeah. I, I think of I think of when he when he watched Jesus perform the miracles. Whether it was spitting in mud and making a guy see, whether it was whether it was touching somebody and bringing them back to life, whether it was whether it was touching the lame and, and making them walk, whether it was touching a leper and, and healing them, whatever, whatever it was. If, if he thought about that 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 moment at the wedding where the, where the water turned to wine. as he, as he, Whatever all the miracles that he witnessed and all the things he got to see. I think of when he got, got in trouble just one more time and, 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 he, and he chopped off this dude's ear and he watched Jesus pick up this ear and put it back on this guy. And I'm like, those are the stories that would do it for me. I think about him him denying Christ but then still watching the crucifixion. That would have did it. I think of him being one of the ones who was invited to come see Christ after the resurrection. And and the resurrection, I'm like, that, that would have did it. But what he writes about, when he's writing to a bunch of believers who he's worried about, making sure they're, they're getting past the suffering that he just wrote about maybe a year or two ago, and getting into this doctrine challenge, and what he remembers and what he wants to remind them is how he knows that Jesus Christ. What the song say? That he's the one that can open the scroll. That he's the Messiah. That he is the one. He, he's the one. He's the Lion of Judah. How he knows this? Is he thinks back before the crucifixion, before the resurrection, even before some of the miracles that he saw, before the healing of his mother-in-law. Maybe he didn't remember that because he wasn't over to heal. I don't know. But you know, all, all that, all that stuff, and he remembers this, this moment. This this vision that he had with Christ and, and Moses and Elijah on this on this mountain. And he says, That was the thing. That was the thing that did it for him. And we're going to go into some, some reasons why why that doesn't. But what he's saying is this, because he says that in the middle, and then he wraps it up with this right here. He says, That was the light that shined in darkness. Well, light brings forth truth. So what he's saying is, this was the truth that overcame the deceitfulness and the lies of the enemy. Because the enemy's going to try to deceive you. The enemy's going to try to, you know, do other stuff. The enemy's going to tell you that, that everything's broken. Yeah. But then you're going to come to a VBS where you not only got 60 kids, you got 60 plus volunteers. Yeah. Not only do you have people who were willing to say that didn't sign up to say, but you look around the room, and I'm so proud to say this, because I can't normally say this in the church. <laughs> and it's so cool when I get to say it Father's Day. But you look around that room, and I got to see a whole bunch of daddies yeah. Yeah. that was filling roles. I saw groups that were, that were my, my specific group, just to brag on us, that was led by all men. You know what I'm saying? Like, you don't get to see that. Because men have failed so many times, that women had to step up and fill roles they had, shouldn't have should have had to fill to get the job done. But I, but I looked out every 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 night when we ate, we sat in that fellowship hall, and I looked across, and I not only saw a whole bunch of wide range of generations of purple shirts, which was super cool. But I looked, and I said, "That's I got a little prideful, by the way. Okay, I got a little Peter in me still. I said, that's, that's one of my men from the upper room. That's one of my men from the upper room. That's another one of my, that's a, another man. That's another man from the upper room. That's a daddy. That's a daddy. So, so when you're on a day like this, and I know all daddies ain't been good. I know some of them jerks and some of them suck and everything in between. But, but there's still some good men in the world. You can trust that those, and what makes them good isn't that they are good. What makes them good is the fact that they've trusted in the trustworthiness of Scripture. They figured out, like, this is the real deal. This is, this is the thing. And Peter says, this is the thing that did it for me. This is the truth that the, the brought forth light in the midst of some darkness. So he breaks this thing into three categories. I ain't got no fancy titles, but, but I did divide it into the three sections for you. 12 through 15, he's got he's got he's stressing the reason why he's reminding them. Which we'll get to that in just a second. That's gonna be number one. You know, he's, just, he's just stressing like this is why I need to remind you, this is why I support. 16 through 18, he's gonna he's gonna tell them, like, I'm a witness. And you can picture it the way Peter would probably say it. I'm a witness to the glory of God. I'm a witness to God's voice being heard and affirming who Jesus was. And then he wraps it up nineteen through twenty one with, with just the surety, the promise, the trustworthiness of the Old Testament prophets. So jump back in it. You got your Bibles that should already be open. Second Peter chapter one, halfway through verse twelve. And it starts with Peter explaining why he's writing this stuff. And I just love, I love, I love Peter's blatant honesty. He goes, "I'm always going to remind you about these things." To remind somebody means you already told them once, right? Some of you parents in the room, you should even you, you should know exactly what I'm what I'm talking about. I've already told you not only once, not only five times, but like twenty-five times, right? Like Peter says, therefore I've already reminded you of these things, even though you know them. He says, I'm reminding you of these things because it's the basics sometimes, the gifts. Though you've heard them, you need to hear it again. Though though you may even know them, you need to make sure you know them. And here's why. That word, therefore, for this reason, in other translations, Peter just wrote about the promises of the entrance into the everlasting kingdom. Verse 11. Last week, verse 11, It said, for in this way, enter into the eternal kingdom of the Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ, which will be richly provided for you. He follows. So he says, therefore, he says, because of that, because I just talked about how to get into the eternal kingdom. I want to make sure you guys understand the most helpful thing you can ever remember. is just the basics. Because if you can get the basics and trust in the basics, you can build on them. See, some of us have fallen foundations because we're trying to build before we got the basics. If you try to build a house before you got the basics, your house is going to crumble. Your house is going to fall. Your house is going to teeter totter and not be not be asserted. But if you have got a firm foundation, a basic understanding, if you grab a hold of the, the basics of the gospel, the basics of what's in Scripture, then you can build on them things like nobody like nobody ever has before. So he says, he says, I, I I'm not going to be neglectful to remind you. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna not do my job. Is what he's saying. He said, you're not going to ever be able to accuse me of not doing what I was supposed to do even though you already knew this stuff because these ideas are worth it. These ideas are worth being repeated. I I watched the Yes, I'm a, I'm a follower of the Cowboys and the Gamecocks, two teams that struggle deciding what kind of season they're in. But I watch a lot of their preseason stuff all the time online. Like you could zoom into their, their camps and you can zoom into their practices. And I want to see how the rookies are doing. And I want to see how the, the, the new drafted agents are doing and, and how they're clicking and the, the, the chemistry of the team because to me that's just as important as one person's athletic ability. You can have a superstar, but if you don't click well, you're going to have a drastic mistake that's going to happen. And so I'm watching all this stuff, and and I see him. And my favorite thing is at the very, very beginning of almost every practice at every level, whether you're in in League, high school league, college, or the pros, they go back to the basics. They run basic blocking drill. They run basic. Plays. This is the hole you're going to hit. This is the route you're going to run. They, they they go through the most basic stuff you've ever seen them go through. And I just want to make sure we understand, like, even professionals, even superstars that are going for championships, they still got to repeat the basics. Because it's the basics sometimes that that will make you survive when you need victory in the dark moment. Peter's saying, what's coming, guys? And he's going to get to it in chapter 2. He says, what's coming is a lot of darkness, a lot of lies, a lot of deceit. And, and he flat out says, he goes, and these are lies of deceit you've already let in the church. He's not necessarily talking about outside the church in this letter. He's writing to believers and letting them know, like, this is a joke you've already let in the church. This is is why it's so big deal. This is why it's so scary. He goes, so maybe you need to be reminded, and maybe you need to cling to some of those basics that you you forgot. For this reason, he says, and, and I will say this. When we come in, whether it's decorated or not, for this reason, Christians should never get tired of hearing about the basics of the Christian life. You know what I'm saying? Like, we we should rejoice every time we hear Jesus Christ. We should rejoice every time we hear the gospel. We should rejoice every time we hear the plans God has for our life. We should rejoice every time somebody says the same praise report that they may say. You know what I'm saying? Like, we we should be the most praiseworthy for some sheep and some snuggle-buggle bunnies or whatever that little thing was that you've ever seen. Why? Because it mattered to that kid. To that kid, that's how he saw God move that week. That's how she saw God move that week. And we should be amazed by that. We should be excited by that. We should come in and we should hear the kids start telling us, Hey, you need to calm down. You know what I'm saying? Like, you ever been in those moments? I picture sometimes, sometimes we take kids to wedding with us. Sometimes we, we don't. But but in the process of, of some of the weddings that we've gone to and, and some of the dancing and all that happens afterwards, I picture my kids looking at me and are like, Dad, you need to stop. Not... Not not what you need to be doing. Like you, you ain't got it. You know what I'm saying? I, mean? you did. Yeah, nah. I, don't, I don't know you're gonna tell me David danced and, and I like, yeah, nah. you need to stop right. I wonder if we could get that excited where in church our kids was like, maybe we need to calm them down a little bit. Rather than than my daughter this morning saying we need to we need to hype it up a little bit, right? Could you imagine if roles were reversed where the kids were like, Here comes that worship time, y'all look around and get ready to calm mom and dad down a little bit, right? Could you imagine, like, that, that sense of worship taking place? Could you imagine that kind of excitement? I mean, I watched kids for five days this week up here mosh-pitting, dancing, and they had lights different. And, I mean, it was just awesome seeing it. And then we come in this morning, though, and we're reminded of how lame it is if we don't make it what it's supposed to be. We're not making it anything, by the way. Right, we're just understanding what it really is. So Peter says these things. Peter says, I want to make sure you you get it. I want to make sure you get the basics so that you can go deeper. And he says this, verse 12. He says that these things should be established in the present truth. Now here, here's what's so cool about this word that he uses right here for established. And we wouldn't get it if we didn't break it back down into the, into the original. But this is the same word used in Luke chapter 22, verse 32. Luke 22, verse 32. Jesus is getting on Peter once again. That's right, so why I love this guy. Like, they, Peter was misbehaving, Peter didn't act proper, Peter was, was messing up. He's talking about after his denial. You, you know, Peter, he's like, I ain't gonna deny you, Jesus. You're crazy. What are you what are you talking about? So Peter, Peter's sitting there talking with Jesus, he's telling Jesus no way. Jesus says, Well, I'll tell you what, I prayed for you that it wouldn't happen, but I also know that it's gonna happen. So he said, So he said, Can you imagine, by the way? You always wonder, like, do you still pray about stuff? Could you imagine Jesus still prayed when he knew the outcome, by the way? Wasn't going to go the way he prayed? That right here is a lesson and a sermon in itself if you didn't catch that. Did you catch it? Look at it. He says, I know you're going to make a mistake, Peter. I know you're going to deny me three times. But I I still prayed for you that your faith wouldn't falter. I, I still pray that you would do the right thing. I still pray. You know what I'm talking about? Like, like. Man, just what we were talking about with governments and all not too long ago, I just not thought of it. Amen. Right? So, so like we talk about like why the world and why God would command us to listen to governments and, and why you still do what God commanded you to do, even when the results ain't what you think they should be, or when they're not being what they should be. God said, I made a rule. My rule was that we would follow the law of the land. Just because the land screwed it up doesn't change my law. Jesus, you've got a, you've got a command to pray. And just because knucklehead Peter's gonna mess it up, it doesn't change your command to pray for it. Right? Because some of y'all don't want to pray for people because you know they're going to keep messing up. Am I right? Yeah, no, y'all too holy to admit that. I've been there. I refused to pray for somebody one time because I was sick of seeing them stumble after I prayed for them every single time. I'm a sinner. That's why I'm on the altar. God's going to clean me up. All right? So, so that's Jesus, though. Jesus says, I, I know he's going to make a mistake, but I'm still going to pray for your faith. I'm still going to pray to God to strengthen you. Why? Because even though you're about to fall, Peter, you're also going to be restored. And it's my prayer that, that you'll remember that when you're restored, here's what he says. And you, Peter, when you have turned back, when you've realized, I was an idiot, I need to go back to God. I made a mistake. When you turn back, when you repent, when you make a 180, I want you to, and here's the word. This is the only thing I was trying to get to. I apologize for all the extras. Strengthen your brothers. That word strengthen is the same word used in, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12, where you see the word established. Peter's remembering where Jesus looked at him and says, After you stumbled, after you made a mistake, I want you to establish your brothers back up. I want you to strengthen your brothers. And Peter says, You know what? I remember that command from God. And in remembering that command from God, I want to establish you in this present truth. I want you to strengthen. Here's what he's saying I want to strengthen you. In this present truth. This is the truth. I want to be the strength of the light when the darkness is coming to get you. So here's Peter fulfilling his command exactly from Jesus that he's going to establish and strengthen his brothers and sisters. And how is he going to do it? He's just going to do it by reminding them of the Christian life. He's doing it by reminding them, by reassuring them, by confirming them of this stuff. God, sometimes some of your brothers and sisters that you see struggling, they just need to be reminded. They just need to be reassured. They just need to be confirmed. They just they just need to be let go you know uh, they, not let go they need to be assured that they can let go of whatever it was that was holding them back because they're establishing the trustworthiness of God's promises that even though Peter was still going to deny him God was still going to use him to establish to strengthen his brothers and sisters that even though People in this world, government systems, and and, and just the evilness of the world, God is still working on the hearts of men to change the hearts of man rather than just forcing them to do it. That whole free will idea of of he wants to change the man, not just change the action. And and he's doing it through this. So here's what he says. He says these things are so important. Peter writes, he's giving them this confidence in this thing and this this faithfulness to the true instruction about Christ. And he says this because... Here's, and here's what we're going to go into. If some of you were here last week, you understand where I was trying to tape out the intro. In chapter 2, he's going to talk about all these false teachers. He, he's, going to, he's going to run right into this thing about the destructive instructions, the, the, the potential and the deterring and the directing of, of them away from Christ. And I, I was a little ahead in my studies this week, so I was reading, and, and there's like four or five commentators that are, which don't read commentators until you get a good understanding, but, but after getting it, I'm reading one of them, and, and there's like four or five of them that are like, I think in chapter 2, Peter is stealing from Jude. And then somebody else was like, no, Jude was stealing from, from Peter. And these guys got in like this little argument over who was stealing from who. And I had to step aside from reading it, and I'm like, I think they both stole from the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I don't know. I could be wrong. Maybe I missed something. But I don't think it was Jude. I don't think it was Peter. I, I think it was the Holy Spirit. Right? And to reassure this, he's going to get into the Holy Spirit in a minute. But, but think about all the false religions of the world today on how man has come up with their own thing. Even some men that have said an angel told him. Right? Well, I ain't worried about what an angel told you. I'm worried about what the Holy Spirit told you. I'm worried if it's able to be confirmed. You know, all those kind of lessons. But look we'll at that. So here's the, here, here's the truth in it. The Holy Spirit inspired them. Chapter 2 we will get in next week on, on how to get into this stuff. But today Peter writes and says, guys, you need to understand the authority of this stuff first the validity of the words of the prophets of the Old Testament. These are the nuts and bolts. So in verse 13 it says, I think it's right. I think it's right because I know what's at stake. And who better to write about knowing what's at stake about being deceived about lies and truth than Peter? Right, one who had already stumbled, already made that mistake. And in this writing, I love, I love this writing, I don't know if your translations have it. Some of them in verse 13 have the word body and 14. But in 13 he says this, he says, shortly after i got to put off my tent. Shortly after I, I put my body in the ground, he's looking at his body and he's using and the, and the the actual translation is tent by the way, but he's looking at this thing and saying my body is no more than a tent. It's no more than a, than a temporary, no more than a temporary thing. Y'all, y'all ever been to a big campground? We we haven't gone in a, in a while. We used to take the kids camping on well, Tuesday nights since I don't work on Wednesday, so we'd get up on Wednesday. Normally it was the beach or or something like that, and you know, we used to have sleeping bags, just sleeping bags. That's when we were young. We'd get up and not feel as bad. Then we bought these fancy air mattresses. That that helped a little bit. I mentioned camping the other day, not too long ago. My wife told me, I think I'm past the age of camping.
1: (laughs) Then I realized
0: that's why my mom and dad bought a (laughs) camper, which I always called glamping and not camping, and I still hold true to that. But I fully understand why some people choose to just pull the house behind them, you know what I'm saying, rather than set up a tent. Because, <laughs> you know, tents, like your body, is going to get saggy. It's also going to start leaking. Uh, you know, all those, all those things, you just let it apply wherever you want it to apply on this thing. I'm going to get you to understand what Peter's saying one way or the other. It bothers me, I can't get in trouble today. I get a free pass, so, like, we can, we can really roll. Oh, I don't get a free pass. Never mind, I want to say it <laughs> But, but he uses this word, and here's what I think certainly well, well I want to make sure we get it. Tents are to be taken care of. You know, you don't just choke out your tent, but you don't really put a lot of money into a tent, right? You don't put a lot of time into a tent, because it's you know, it's it's not a permanent dwelling place. And as Peter writes this thing, he's he's not worried, he's not upset. We don't even know what what, what Jesus had actually told him. He just says the Father's revealed to me or Christ has revealed to me, however your translation puts it, that, that, that my time is coming to an end. My life is, is is almost over, and this this tent that I've been living in, I, it's it's going to jump, and I'm going to go to the eternal thing. Like he's thinking back to First Peter now, he's thinking like I'm just an immigrant, I'm just an alien, I'm just passing through right here to get to my permanent location, the one that that really matters that should really really be lasting. And, and I love that because here here's where I here's where I got hung up a lot this week in reading. Peter's thinking about the end of his life. He's thinking about his time has come to an end. He's for, for whatever reason, I don't know if he you knows Nero's about to, to, you know, crucify him upside down I don't know if history is true And his wife really had just been killed Because you know that he, he does die right after his life Like, I don't know about all that But I think about him, he's definitely at the end of his life And it just makes me think Like, what about my walk With Christ? What about my walk at the end of my life? Am I, am I going to remember Peter remembers his moments with Christ at the end? Am I going to sit at the end and remember about my moments with Christ? Am I going to remember some worship moments? Am I, am I going to remember some moments where I saw God move and, and do some miraculous things? Am, am I going to remember the details of, of the first time the Holy Spirit moved inside of me? Am I going to remember the, the moment I first believed? Am I going to, what am I going to remember? What do you remember? What do you remember about spiritual movements in your life? Think back on them. Do you remember when God grabbed you for the first time? Do you, do you remember the first time you opened Scripture and you got something out of it and you are like, oh. Ah! Do you remember the first time you heard Daddy roar? Do you, what do you remember? Peter remembers this this moment, and and I guess I'm big on this because even even it being Father's Day, how fitting. Like, I'm afraid sometimes we're raising up a generation where they don't know the testimony, they don't know the the turnaround of mom and dad. They've seen some turnaround. They've they've read scripture and they saw Saul's conversion and maybe three thousand other people on the day of Pentecost and and they heard about all this stuff. But Peter and Paul both. We're constantly writing about their conversion over and over and over again. And i tell you, at the end of the year when we do testimonies, it's because it's the one thing the world can't argue with. You can argue with whether you believe some. You can, you can try to take science and do this, and, and you can try to take ideas and do this and emotions and do this. But you can't argue with a changed life. You can't argue with a, with a turned-around person. These are real living reminders, real people, and that's the way God teaches. And I think it's beautiful. You know, when you get to sit back and just look at God moving the life of a person and see, that's, that's God just shouting. That's, that's God just just preaching. Like that, that, that man's life or that woman's life, he's using real people, real testimonies to connect us with a real and living Savior, Jesus Christ. And, and I'm just amazed at that. So use your testimony. Use your testimony. Let people see your change. Let people see your turnaround. Luke writes this, this entire book about testimonies, men and women heard the gospel and he writes about they believed it, they repented they confessed and and he says at the end of the book which is just cool because you wonder like you know is this just a is it just like a cheer up chapter or what he writes at the end he says I'm writing all this to convince and convict Galopoulos, I'm just writing this to convince this guy the certainty of the truth of the message about Jesus Christ and his church I want to make sure he he gets it and this is the way he's going to get it not only with, with the word but with what the word has done in the lives of people and Peter does that same thing. Uh, back to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15. He says, I want to be careful to assure you so that you always have this reminder. Peter says, I know I'm about to die, so I'm write it down. You got something important, write it down. Right? If you get old and you're going to forget stuff, write it down. But like he, he's saying, like, I know, I know time's about to stop. I know things are about to change, and you you're going to need this, this reminder. You're going to need to have proof of it. Even at my departure, even after he says, even after my, my decease. He's at at the end. He knows Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, where Paul wrote, and and he said the the written teaching of the apostles and their associates is the foundation of the church, to preserve the generations for God. Right? The reading of this word, the preaching of this word, the the practice of this word is to preserve all generations for God. And and it it just raises me to think, like, what will the world remember us for when we're gone? I got a, a note on my desk that somebody gave me. that says it's, it's not about what you'll be known for; it's about what you'll be remembered for. Amen. Right? I, I thought of it. I thought of it yesterday. I fell in that worldly trap again. You know, uh, we did a, a wedding this weekend, and, and one of the guys—I think he was just trying to trying to make me feel good—he said, "Man, you look like Bradley Martin." And if anybody knows who Bradley Martin is? I was like, "Yeah, we're like brothers. <laughs> you know, we work out together." You know, I uplifted that thing a little bit, but but I got hung up on that. And I got hung up on, on exercise and invention and all that kind of stuff. When in reality that was a testimony time. Like I could have been like, well, I don't know about Bradley Martin, but let me tell you about Jesus Christ. That's what I really want to look like. But I didn't, so I gotta go back and fix that. But you know, think about this stuff. This this is what Peter's writing. Peter says, I'm at the end and I'm being reminded of some stuff, and what I'm reminded of is Jesus and walking in his word. What I'm reminded of is the, the strength And what really matters is what what I'm leaving behind. And Peter says, What I want to leave behind is for you guys to make sure you understand what matters most. Did you understand Jesus Christ? That you guys understand how he came to be an example of self-sacrifice? And if that was the example of Christ who we're supposed to follow, sometimes we need to ask ourselves, how are we doing it at that? How are we doing it at that? How are we doing on self-sacrifice? How are we doing on, on, on giving up our afternoons to help and teach kids? How are we giving up on, a, on giving up our, our morning time of, of TV to, to study the word or make a phone call and reach out to somebody you need? How, how are we doing how are we doing all these things that, that really matter? Peter sat back and he said, I want to make sure you guys understand Like, like these are the kind of guys that influence the world. Maybe he's thinking about the other fishermen that were out there that day. We don't know nothing about them. I don't know nobody else's name that was fishing during Jesus' time, but I know those that chose to leave their nets and follow Christ because it's written about them. How many of them are, are written about forever? Not many. How many things should we be giving up maybe a little more? How many times should we be getting out of our our comfort zone a little more, to do the things that God's called us to do. The Lord tells Peter, Peter, your, your time is coming to an end. And rather, I, you know what I'm saying, he could have just stopped writing. Well, time's coming to an end, there's no need to, but no, he says this is important. I need to make sure I get this, this penciled in so it'll last before, before I'm done. So maybe just a question today. What are you going to do with the time you've got left? I'm not saying anybody's dying, I'm not saying you're going to leave before Jesus comes back or anything like that. I'm just saying, like, what do what you doing with the time that God's blessed you with? The first letter, chapter 1, I know it's been a while. Verse 17, he says, And if you address the Father as one who impartially judges according to each man's work, you should conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay upon earth. That temporary stay, that, that temporary visit. Verse 18, Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold, From your futile way of life, inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as a lamb, unblemished, spotless the blood of Christ. Paul writes, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 and 16, he says, Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. Are we making the most of our time? Peter's leaving this reminder that if we're going to follow Christ faithfully, if we're going to walk obediently to the word, these are the things we ought to be doing. Second, second and third section is wrapped up together in verse 16. And here's why he's so concerned. Here's why, here's why he's, he's harping on this, this so much. Verse 16, he says, I want to remind you, we don't follow fables. We don't follow myths. We don't, we don't follow any, any lies or, or story time. We, we follow the truth. We have the testimony of the apostles. We have eyewitnesses that have laid account of this stuff. We can reliably reconstruct historical events through the testimony of eyewitnesses, and, and everything lines up. You realize for, for thousands, plus, almost 2,000 years now, people have been trying to disprove the apostles, and they haven't done a very good job. Right? Mind, let, let me just switch it and ask you this way. The history books that we have in school, what are they from? Eyewitnesses. Correct? There ain't no way of living today that was then, right? Eyewitnesses. When you go to court, even today, anytime, when you go to court, what's one of the things every, every lawyer is looking for? I want a eyewitness. Why? Because an eyewitness will lock it down. Well, then I just want to ask, why does an eyewitness lock down everything in the world except for the gospel? Nobody argues with history books. Few people, you know, there's, there's the opposing counsel, of course, but, but few people are going to argue with the eyewitness in a courtroom. We, we trust the trustworthiness of an eyewitness all the time for every event, except for when it comes to spiritual matters. Then it's a debate. Then it's a question. Then it's a concern. Then it's, it's a, is it good enough now? Peter writes, he says, guys, not only are the other apostles eyewitnesses, he says, I'm writing this, and I want to make sure you know I'm an eyewitness to this. And he says, here's what I saw. Peter had seen Jesus. goes into this thing right here in this section. Peter had seen Jesus glorified. He had heard the voice of God. The audible voice of God. If you got your Bibles, hold your spot in Peter, but flip back to Matthew chapter 17. And I'm not taking away from the resurrection being a confirmation of Jesus' identity or anything like this. I'm just saying for Peter, the moment that did it for him was when he heard this, this voice from heaven. That confirmed who Jesus really was, right? If you go to Matthew 17 and you look at just the, just the beginning, really, of it, you don't have to go too far in. But I just want you to get an idea of what Peter remembers. Because I think what Peter remembers is awesome for two reasons. One is this look at what's happening. Spend some time, Jesus says, Peter, James, and his brother John, and they go up on this mountain. We don't know what mountain, but they go up there by themselves. So Peter's already, like, feeling good. He's like, I, I'm one of the ones that's been called to go with Jesus, like, to a special place. Like, we're closer. You know, maybe he's got some bragging rights now, right? And then it says this, verse 2, it says, he was transfigured right in front of his face, shone like the sun. You can't even look at the sun. Can you imagine these guys trying to look at Jesus? I was reading about one guy talking about that being a miracle, and then it hit me. I'm like, maybe the miracle is that for this one moment, God paused what was actually a miracle. Maybe the miracle was that Jesus hadn't been shining like the sun the whole time he had been here. So there was that one pause where Jesus was like, you know what? I'm going to release the miracle of making him not shine so that you can look at him. And I'm going to let him shine like he's supposed to shine so that you can know who he is. Just an idea. I don't know if it's right. But, but he shines like the sun, it says, right? His clothes became white as light. Then it says, suddenly Moses and Elijah appeared to them. Wow, that's the, that's the, that's the law. That's the prophets. That's who they represented. That's why these two guys were picked to be there and he's talking with them. And then Peter says to Jesus, guys, hear me. If you've never learned anything when I talk about Peter so much, Peter never got in trouble until so he opened his mouth. Yeah. <laughs> you don't open your mouth unless you're sure. Everybody understand that? That's good marriage advice. That's good parenting advice. That's good spiritual advice. Peter, so so sure, so confident. You can picture That's one thing about Peter. He was a confident kind of guy. I mean, anybody who jumps out of a boat to walk on water, they got to have a different level of confidence than a normal person, right? So in confidence, he says to Jesus, Lord, it is so good for us to be here with you. Good statement. Good statement. You should, you should stop right there. Period. Boom. You should have stopped. You should have kept your mouth shut and been done. But no, Peter, Peter, like everybody else. Wants to keep on talking. Because once you open it, it's hard to close it. I will set up three shelters for you. <laughs> and he's so proud. He's so confident. He's like, God, I got this. Jesus, I understand. I understand you got Elijah. You got You got both, We got the law. We got the prophets. We got you. I'm going to set up three, three shelters. I'm going to make this thing great for you guys. And then verse 5. I love how scripture puts it. While he was still speaking. Anybody ever open their mouth when they shouldn't have and their wife or their mom or dad had to speak to them while they were still speaking? Uh You know, like when I'm preaching and Crystal's back there while I'm still speaking, she's shaking her head and cutting it off and and stopping me at all accounts, right? Like, while he's still speaking? You know, it's bad when your wife or your mom or dad has to interrupt you. But when God... When God Himself like has to send down an audible voice to interrupt you, that is another level of you just screwed up. You just, that's what he saying. You just got it wrong, right? Look what he says. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, "This is my beloved Son, whom I will please." You should start listening to that. Now, some of you are you are you aren't fully getting. That Peter's in trouble right here. Peter just just tried to make Moses and Elijah on the same level as as God's son. He thought he was doing a good thing. He's like, God, I I got the prophets of the the old. I've got the law. I got the representative from both of those things. I got your son. I'm going to build three shelters and, and set it all up evenly. And God has to roar. Literally, right? He roars and says, Peter... Moses and Elijah aren't my kids. They're my spiritual children, but they're not—they're not me. This—this this is my—this is my beloved son. This—this this is whom I'm well pleased with. You should listen to him, and him alone. It says that when the disciples heard this, they fell face down and they were terrified. Yeah. They got it, I think. <laughs> Or they were just terrified that the cloud was talking to them. I don't know. <laughs> then it says, Jesus came up and he touched them. This is what this, this is a real cool picture. Jesus comes up and he touched me and tells me, guys, guys, get up. Don't, don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. The other two were gone. Why? What did Jesus come to do? When you guys tell me, change the law or change the prophets, I'm going to throw my Bible at you. <laughs> All right? He came to fulfill. It. I, 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 I'm, I'm here. I, I'm the one that matters now. And Jesus tells him, "I've always been confused when Jesus uses this statement." They're coming down the mountain. Jesus says, "Hey, don't don't tell anybody about the vision you got until I'm raised from the dead." You, you, you got two things going on there. You telling the guys that just heard God speak, <laughs> right? To shut up and hey, don't tell nobody. It's a secret. You ever you ever told? A kid a secret? That's like too good to be held in? Right? I, I think of like when when when, when at the stage of, of getting ready to have another child and you're like, don't tell nobody yet, though. This we don't tell them for a certain period of time to make sure everything's good and confirmed. That kid's gonna tell everybody. That's the most exciting news they've ever heard. Right? There's a watermelon baby growing inside mommy. Right? They're, they're going crazy. This, this is this is Jesus, guys. Don't go tell nobody. But then he uses a statement until I'm raised from the dead. <laughs> well, we thought we understood what the cloud was telling us. Now we're really confused. Right? I mean, can you imagine these guys? They're like, well, so you're raised from the dead? What? 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 It, was, it was this story. And I just want to make sure we get it. Like, it was this moment in Peter's walk that he refers back to when he's trying to give confidence to the validity of Scripture and the validity of who Jesus is. It was this moment that he went back to. It wasn't none of the healing. It wasn't none of the supernatural things he said. It wasn't even when he raised a dead girl or a dead boy from, from death to life. It wasn't even when he himself returned. It was this moment when the sky opened up and God said, that's, that's my son. You should listen to him. You should make sure you're grabbing a hold of, of what it is he's, he's trying to say. You should make sure you understand. What it is he's teaching. These words from heaven is what put Jesus above everything else. That, that, that he, he wasn't just the law come to flesh. He wasn't just a, a prophet. He, he was literally the beloved son of God. And God was pleased in this thing. Now, what I find even funnier than all of that is this. This voice from heaven. And, and you guys got it i just now explained it. This voice from heaven was a rebuke to Peter. This was a Peter, you got it wrong. The, these other two aren't supposed to be on the same plane field. Look at look at Mark chapter 9, verse 7. I think that's when we got where we should have the this cloud appeared overshadowing him and the voice came. And it's just, just repeating it again. But Peter understood, this is in all the gospels, Peter understood at this this moment that he got it wrong. Yet, it was this moment that he showed, I don't know about you guys, but when I get it wrong, I try to forget those moments. That's not the moment I try to remember. I'm like, you know, I like to remember Father's Day. I like to remember when I'm a good dad. Not the ones where I lost it and wanted to throw a kid to a wall. I mean, um, you know, loved on them like I'm the supposed to. Right? Like, you know, so like I want to remember the good things, not the, the crazy things. Peter says, no, I, I remember this moment because it was, it was this moment of rebuke that would become a sweet memory for me. Because it's when you get it wrong and you learn from it that it can become the greatest lesson you'll ever have. And that was Peter. Peter said, it was a moment that I thought I had it all understood. But I, I picture Peter like, like some people in the church that grew up in the church their whole life. Like, they think they got it all. They think they understand everything and then something in scripture just smacks them in the face one day. And they're like, oh, I had it all wrong. You know, like some of the crazy things we've changed here. Like with, with voting ideas and and, 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 and just, just all the offering ideas and all, all the kind of ideas that we don't do like normal churches do. And then I just use my phrase because it's such a good phrase. Well, if you can find it in Scripture, bring it to me and we'll, we'll start doing it that way because we want to do it Scripture's way. But we just don't find it there because it's what we've always done, not what we've always read. Right? Yeah, that's Peter. Peter says, I, I got to this moment where I thought I got it. I thought I understood, and then I realized I didn't. And it's that moment where he realized he was wrong and gets a deeper understanding that he remembers. And he says, guys, let me share this. Let me share this moment with you. We ought to take some moments where we've had to learn something the hard way, where we've had to take that moment of rebuke and make it a sweet memory. You know what I'm saying? Like some of those moments where things weren't right, that we had to get right. And make it a sweet memory. Make it one where you're going to share it with other people so you can increase their confidence. Verse 19, then he gets into the evidence of, of prophecy being fulfilled. He says, and so we have this prophetic, this prophetic word confirmed. That you would do well to heed his light. Remember, truth that shines in darkness. Truth that, that replaces deception. Until the day the morning star rises in your hearts. He said this, this prophetic word confirms this stuff. This, this moment guarantees what, what, what you've been preached and what you've been taught is true the fulfillment of the prophetic word confirmed a reliable testimony to the truth of Scripture. It's about confirmation. And you say, well, well, aren't we we listening to to somebody who who just heard something and and they're preaching it? Yes, but it's been confirmed repeatedly. And repeatedly. You know, even even Paul himself, he got this this vision. Somebody tried to compare Paul uh, a couple weeks ago and something else I was listening to. They tried to compare Paul to Joseph Mormon. No, no, I'm not kidding you. They're like, well, well, well Joseph Mormon had like this this vision, and, and, and it was from an angel, and, and, and he had all his, his instructions, and he went and changed everything. Yeah, but it was never confirmed by anything else or anybody else. It was just an angel, not the Holy Spirit. Paul, not only did he hear something, you he say, well, what if Paul it mixed up? Paul left for three years to make sure he got it right. He knew for sure it was God, but he still said, you know what, I just want confirmation before I dive into this thing, that it's the real deal. So he spends three years traveling, inspecting, checking out, diving in, studying deeper, and getting stuff right before he ever makes his launch forward. Hear hear me. This is the only way I, I, I can make sure we get it. God always confirms his word. Always. Hear me. If you're the only one that's heard God say something that's totally new, you're either crazy, I'm just being fair. I'm giving all options. You're insane, or God's waiting to confirm it with somebody else. There's that option, maybe. Or you're a liar. That's the only four options you can get. There is no all of the above, right? Or none of the above. That, that's it. God always confirms. Are you drinking? Have some substance, you know, inside of you, right? God always confirms His word. It's about confirmation. And he says in nineteen, he says, because this has been confirmed, things that have been confirmed, you would do well. Look at the end of verse nineteen. You would do well to heed to this stuff. Things that are confirmed, you would do well when you consider the testimony of Jesus. You would do well to heed to it. Some of you have heard this illustration before, but it's just too good. While we're thinking about the trustworthiness and guarantee and stuff right here, there's 332 Old Testament predictions regarding the Messiah. 332 things. that that somebody wrote about before Jesus ever was that had to become true and had to be right for Jesus to be who he said he was. Professor Peter Stoner, what a fitting name for that, right? (laughs) He he was hung up on this thing. He's a statistics guy. And he says, I wanted to look at this from a statistical perspective because it was absolutely overwhelming to me. And he writes and he says, for one man... To fulfill only eight of these things. Remember, there's 332. He just takes eight of them. For one guy to fulfill eight of these things, it would be one with 10 to the 17th power. So if you've got your phones or if you write notes and you got a pen, you just write a one, and write, or write a 10, sorry, and then write 17 zeros behind. it. One out of that number, because I can't say it, it's too big for me, is the chances of a guy fulfilling eight of these prophecies. He goes deeper because he's blown away by it, and he says, I calculated the number of silver dollars it would take to cover the state of Texas, and it would cover the state of Texas two feet deep. Two feet deep, the entire state of Texas of silver dollars, and one of those silver dollars would be Jesus, if he was only fulfilling one of eight He takes it, he doesn't go any further than this, but he does take it all the way up to number 48. He says, if you would get, and you would consider, that 48 of these prophecies, remember, there's 332, he ain't even covering a quarter yet of what, of what it's supposed to be, right? He says, if we're still this small, but if we consider 48 of the prophecies, the odds become 10 with 157 zeros behind. I definitely can't say that Picture that, guys. That's not even all 332. He's writing and he says, I can guarantee. He didn't have to go past that. He said, I can guarantee that if this one man, Jesus, fulfilled this many of them, <laughs> there's no doubt he's who he said he was supposed to be. He proved the validity. In it. And in verse 19 finish. he says, As that light shines in our He's saying, it's no wonder Peter... No wonder Peter could say the prophetic word confirms that light shines in this, and we should claim to that kind of light. Peter had seen a lot in his own eyes. He had, he had his own testimony himself, but he said it was the authority of heaven. It, 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 was the, it was the real prophets that were teaching. He said, sure, the church is about to be infiltrated with heretics and lies, and, and, and as Jesus would call them, wolves in sheep's clothing. But he said it's these truths that the church has to listen to, that the church has to to cling to. So maybe a question for them and a question for us this morning is, will the church listen to this? Will the people follow this? Or will the church listen to the fables and myths? Will the church follow the fables and myths? Peter steps up to the plate and calls them to attention, man. He says, guys, this. This is the instruction you need, that we continue our study, that we take a a good look at at this stuff. And read ahead for next week. Get ready to see some of the the lies and the heretic speeches and the myths and the fables that's going to be. Peter says he can rest assured because it's the Holy Spirit himself that inspired the stuff he knows about. Right? Peter knows for sure that that it was the Holy Spirit moving amongst his men that wrote these words. And again, I, I said at the beginning, I think like, what I'm amazed by is that the ancient prophets that were writing these words, they didn't even understand what they were writing. Yet they still chose to surrender to the Holy Spirit and write it out. Could you imagine writing a book? People would think you were higher drunk again. Could you imagine writing a book and having a book reveal at the bookstore and people would be like, well, what does that mean? And you would have to say, I have no idea. <laughs> well, what does that refer to? Why did you write it that way? I don't know. A voice in my hand told me to. You would be committed. You would be in a home and you would never be seen again. These guys wrote exactly what they were they were inspired by the Holy Spirit to write, despite understanding. And then they're, they're challenging us to live. Despite sometimes we don't understand. They challenge us to, to purr even when we're commanded to, to roar. It was as if they were moved. I like this word too. Try to grab a couple words for you guys so you don't have to get every Greek and Hebrew word I learned. Right? They, they were moved by the Holy Spirit, verse twenty one. This the same Greek word moved is the word that is used in Acts chapter twenty seven, verses fifteen and seventeen, where it talks about a ship being carried away by the wind and the current. Which I love the visual. Because for people who were reading this in their language, they would have they would have caught it immediately. Right? But for us, we, we just see the word moved. What he's saying is that these men that were carried away like the current wind by the Holy Spirit. That's how they were moved by the Holy Spirit to do this. You guys ever been in the water when you don't have a motor? And all you got is either a sail or a current if you're in the river? You go wherever the current takes you. And if you got a sail, you're going to go wherever the wind carries you. No wind, you ain't moving. Little wind, you move slower. A lot of wind, you move faster. Maybe even too fast. Right? Same thing with, with the current. I love it because for him to use that word in Acts for the, for the ship and then pick this word again to come about for the writing of the Spirit, he's saying you, you're controlled by the Spirit totally. The speed it wants to go, the direction it wants to go, how it wants to go, it's just, it's just a really pretty illustration. He's saying these guys raised their sails in cooperation with God, and they went wherever the Holy Spirit wished them to go, not where they wished to go. It's, it's just cool. So, so here's an application before we jump into chapter 2 next week. Are we sharing our faith and showing God's Word? Are we letting the world see our testimony rather than just hearing about other people's testimony? Do we share the gospel, the instructions for life, how we're personally following? That's what Peter's doing. He's, he's sharing how he's personally been involved in doing this stuff. He's determined to leave behind a, a legacy of faith. Head said it a minute ago when we talked about seeds, him, him and Jeremiah together talking about seeds, like, like that starts at home. You realize that? <clears throat> This, this legacy that you desire to leave, it starts it starts at home. I'm always amazed by big business people that are like, well, I just, I just want my name, I want my legacy left. And they're so worried about what they leave outside in the world that they, they forget what they're supposed to be leaving in the house. They forget the inspiration they're supposed to have with their wife and their children and their, their moms and their dads and their, their family members. It starts at home, then it, then it goes into the church. Maybe for somebody who's going to start at lunch today. right? right, you're going to go see family members? Or you're going to... Eat with some friends? Like maybe maybe that's the time that, that it starts. Maybe you get out of your comfort zone and start leaving the TV off and do something valuable with your time that's going to last. Right? Ask yourself the hard questions, am I really following Jesus the way he wants? Is he really Lord of my life? And as, as Peter talked about in the beginning, like, am I going to be welcome into his kingdom? Last week, verse three it said, His divine power has given us everything we need for life. You have everything you need. Everything. And godliness to our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. He's calling us to make sure we understand the sureness, the trustworthiness, the guarantee of the gospel. And he's saying that if you have that. If you understand that, if you're clinging to that, then, then this, this is what you'll have to take on the enemy when he's coming. This is all just an intro for the enemy that he's going to talk about starting next week. The lies and deception, the, the heretics and the hypocrites and, and all the stuff that's got him to church. He said, I'm just making sure you get the basics before you try to go toe to toe with somebody who's going to try to lie to you. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truthfulness of it, Lord God, the trustworthiness of it. God, we thank you that you prepare us, Lord God, even before there's a battle in front of us. To do, to be, and to fulfill exactly what it is you've commanded us. God, make us strong. Give us courage. Strengthen us. Give us discernment, Lord God. God, help us to cling to your word. Help us to see the testimony. Help us us to experience the testimony. And help us, Lord God, to share this stuff with the world that's watching Help us to equip this church, Lord God, right now, this body of believers, to be prepared for the lies of the world to try to throw at them. In your name we pray.